confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. Hurts, eating, first down, and a touchdown. Here are your hosts, Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Unfiltered, powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Co-host Connor Miles here with my co-host, as always, Ed Crass. Ed, you're at OTAs. You're in Philadelphia. We've been really late on recording, and I apologize for that. Everything in life has come our way as usual, but, you know, I have to get your firsthand opinion. Now, I know a lot of listeners want to hear it, too. You were right there seeing everything up close. I mean, literally, you were Boston Scott's shadow. When you were watching the running backs during the running backs drills, what were your impressions when you're up there finally seeing this team in action or Nick Sirianni under the in the link of all places to see him? Yeah, that, that's kind of what struck me first is like, you know, this is the first time in the link since they lost that game to Washington, I think on January 3rd. And just what struck me was how different things looked. Um, you know, obviously, Peterson's not there. Sirianni is. Wentz isn't there, Hurts and Joe Flacco, of all people are, with Jamie Newman, um, you know, the other quarterback. And then you know, just even the uniforms. Like, you know, you've never seen the Eagles wear these all-black jerseys or jerseys, whatever you want to call them. And then the other uh, – that's for the the offense wearing the all-black. And then the defense is wearing kind of like a gray. And you never saw that. You know, it was just the green game jersey that they would wear during practices with their numbers and – um, so there was a lot of things that struck me as soon as I walked onto the field, um, was how different everything was and how I hope that we'll have full houses this fall. It seems like that's going to be the case. Obviously we're, we've seen full houses now with what's going on in the NBA playoffs and major league baseball. So yeah, you hope that in the fall things will still be that way. Um, so there was a lot of things that struck me and then, uh, you know, watching Suriani uh, kind of bring the team together after uh, the warm-ups and the individual, you know, exercises and stuff. And um, he had the offense on one side and the defense on the other. And it was really cool to see all the gray shirts on one side, all the black shirts on another. And Suriani was right in the middle and they kind of fanned out. You know, they weren't all just bunched up together. It was Suriani right at the head 
of what looked like two wings, you know, black and gray wings or silver wings. And um, he really looked like he was in control and really kind of explaining things the way they were going to be and pointing very animated. A lot of hand talk with this Italian head coach. You know, you see him using his hands a lot. And, um, but he looked like he was in pretty firm control. And then, you know, the team started to run over closer to where we were on the sideline and began playing this game of what, you know, if anybody knows what tetherball is from the old playground days, um, you know, they start messing around with this green ball and throwing it back and forth with the receivers. And, um, you know, it's attached to a string. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it, it was a lot different than what we were used to. And um, and then from there, the players went into their position groups and the defense is always just kind of far away. Um, really, it's the offense that's right front and center. We don't have access to the entire sideline, so you can't wander down to where the defense was working. You can only go to, you know, maybe the 50-yard line or so. So what's going taking place in front of me is the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, and the running backs, and to a lesser extent, the offensive line, which was a little further over on my side of the field. I tried to observe some things going on there too, but it was the running backs that were right front and center. I, you know, I could have taken the ball and run that drill myself. In fact, I was tempted to. It looked like a lot of fun. I don't know if people saw the video. I know you did, Connor, but you know, you had Jamal Singleton, the running back coach, kind of had the uh, string or a wire attached to the football, and then they had bags laid out on the ground, and uh, the player would have to tuck the ball under his arm, the running back, and run through that gauntlet of bags while Singleton's kind of pulling on that wire. Not all the time, but all of a sudden he would jerk it. And if it bobbled or if it moved or came out, you had to start to drill over. And Sirianni was really honed in on that drill while I was watching it, telling them, lock your elbow, lock your elbow, make sure your elbow is locked, really stressing the fundamentals of taking care of the football. And it was really cool to see. And the players looked like they were having fun. You know, Sanders and Scott are laughing and Kenny Gainwell, you know, he's having a good time with it. Um, so, you know, it was, it was kind of fun. I think they're having fun at, at these OTAs. I think they had a good time together. I think they bonded together and that was kind of the goal. Ed, does this impress you? Because, you know, this is a, I remember every time there was an Eagles win. They'd post that video in the locker room of Doug Peterson always giving his victory speech or some type of speech to the Eagles team. And the guys rallied around Doug. You know, Doug was very loved within that organization by his players. He's a player's coach. He was always known as such. Are you surprised that the quick transition that you're because you're seeing this in person, you can give your personal opinion on this. You don't have to listen to outsiders or get a gut feeling of what you're hearing through press conferences. You literally saw it in action with your own eyes at two practices now. Are you are you surprised how quick? I mean, I don't want to say the term buying in, but guys are gravitating toward Nick Sirianni, and it's a noticeable effect. Yeah, I think it's really his energy and his enthusiasm, and you know, you can see that. And it's funny, you know, we all got this initial impression of Sirianni when he met us for the first time of this bumbling, stumbling, didn't quite know how to speak, said everything twice, didn't make a very good first impression. Um, but you know, it seems to me that he's very comfortable in front of his, you know, football players, which is his background. You know, he, he's the son of a coach. His brothers are coaches. He's gone on coaches vacations. I mean, this guy has been immersed in the coaching life. So I think that, uh, being, having to observe that as a kid growing up, he's learned some things from having observed that, uh, and because it's clear that the player, he has the players focus and attention. Um, you could see that when he brought the team together. I was really kind of honed in on that, watching that. And, you know, he was really in charge. And those players were listening. Um, and, and, you know, and that's just a small snippet that we saw. You know, we only saw the three practices. 
Um, and but they've had you know whatever it is, 14 days of them over three weeks. So you know I'm sure that's taking place in practices that were not there. Um, and it's funny we had we talked to some of the assistant coaches on uh, Tuesday, and Kevin Petula, the passing game coordinator, who was one of Seriani's first hires when he got the job. He was asked about uh, the initial press conference, if he watched it and what his impressions were, uh, because he talked about how Nick is very impressive in front of the team and how he really is in command when he talks to football players. Uh, and that was a concern when we saw his first presser was he didn't seem to be in command. Uh, but Kevin's like, you know, he says, well, uh, I didn't really get a chance to watch it. Nick had me doing other things when he said he had to do this. He told me he needed me to do this, 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 and this, uh, you know, as far as looking at guys' resumes because they were trying to build their coaching staff at that time, walking through the building, looking at different changes, a whole list of things that Petula had to do. So he didn't see it. At least he said so. And then he said, after the fact, I saw it, and I thought, well, it's your first press conference. And then you expected him to expound on that. And he, all he said was, you're going to do better after your first one. And that's all he said about it. So he knows that that wasn't a very good start for Sirianni in terms of what we saw from him on that first impression. But he's very good, I think, in front of the team. Now, how that's going to translate in wins and losses and what that's going to look like when this team, you know, inevitably goes through the ups and downs of an NFL season, we'll see. But I think he's probably prepared for that, having grown up the son of a coach, brothers as coaches, uh, and having coached as an assistant for a number of years before getting this job. I mean, in Doug Pierce's opening press conference, you could fall asleep. And then what woke you up is Jeff McClain and Jeffrey Lurie going back and forth with their banter. They won a Super Bowl. So opening press conference means nothing to me. And I think you're seeing it now, what it means to the players and what it means to the team. He's nothing of the sort of what he showed. In the, it's funny because he got dragged for it, too. He got completely dragged for it on social media. Yeah, first impressions, you know, that was really Delaware Valley's first impression of their new head coach. And, you know, it went over like a lead balloon, frankly. And, you know, I wrote about it. You know, John McMullen, my colleague, wrote about it. You would have written about it. Um, that That's because we were all very unimpressed. And we thought, you know what, this guy really uh, – is going to have a hard time when he gets in front of a team, you know, not only filled with young guys, but players that aren't that much younger than he is 39 years old. You're, you know, Kelsey's 33. I mean, what, what, how is that going to play in front of the veterans? And I just chalk it up to him probably waiting for 15 minutes before he talked because Jeffrey Lurie made this ridiculously long introduction of him. Um, and, he, and it wasn't a good first impression. And first impressions do mean a lot, and it wasn't a good one as far as the fan base was concerned. But, you know, now that we've had a chance to kind of see him over, you know, the last few months, I think that that impression's changed. At least it has for me. Right, it has for me for sure. I mean, you know, that's our job. That's the media's job to give their critique of what they – first-hand experience so i completely understand the angle of it but we also are you know we do jump the gun sometimes yeah. and I, especially when it comes to such unknown commodities and nick sirianni at that point you know they're interviewing joshua daniels they're talking about arthur smith uh other could the brandon staley of the chargers was high on their list as brian baldicker told you on their last episode you know those were the guys that all the fans are focusing on we were forced at the end to start paying attention to Nick Sirianni and he really wasn't known. All he known, the only thing that you knew about him was, Hey, that's Frank Reich's guy. That's it. So, I mean, of course 
having a press conference to back up already not being a known commodity is not going to really help you out. And, you know, Philadelphia is going to rip you apart and tear you out and chew you up to pieces in the process. But, you know, like I just said, it happened with Doug. I'm not that concerned. And he's exactly showing why the players are already buying in, which is, I think, that should be taken seriously by fans of how quick these players are gravitating towards him because this isn't a normal situation where a team fired their head coach because they've been bad for years. This is a team that fired their head coach who just, you know, kind of played out, got played out really quick, really fast. Uh, he was a successful head coach, a playoff head coach, a Super Bowl winning head coach. Most of the time, those teams, organizations, give those coaches some time to figure it out like the Ravens did with John Harbaugh for years and look where they are now. That's why I thought whenever when they announced the Doug Pearson firing, I thought, wow, this is gonna this could potentially lose the locker room. Not the Carson Wentz situation. I thought losing Doug Peterson could potentially impact the locker room because of how close he was with these players and how successful he was with these said players. That matters to these guys in the organization. Guys matter like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey. So I was worried how you know you bring in a rookie head coach who nobody knows anything about. How do your veterans like that who know how it takes to win a Super Bowl? Respond to a guy who's so inexperienced and so, you know, going to have to take time to blossom in this league. You know, we're, we're getting won over by these Nick Sirianni's press conferences. We're getting won over by these these sound clips. But what he's going to be judged on is what happens on game day. If he starts off with a four-game losing streak, I don't think fans are going to care what the heck he was wearing Brandon Graham's shirt during training camp. I mean, excuse me, during team activities. They're not going to care about the smooth talking after that. They're going to be gunning for his neck. And so is, the, you know, the sports talk radio is going to destroy him. But my point is here, I'm not taking any of that stuff in the past. I'm only looking at, it's it's surprising to me that these guys are gravitating towards him so quickly when they were so close with Doug Peterson. They were so, that, that had a, the culture was already here. Nick Sirianni came to a team that already had an established culture. He didn't have to reestablish one. He just had to assert himself as the head of that culture, and he's doing so right now. And that's mm-hmm. impressive to me. Yeah, and listen, you know, the flip side is, is you know, these guys are professional athletes. You know, they have a job to do, and, yeah, they have a new boss. It's like any job. You get a new boss, uh, and, and I think the immediate uh, reaction is you want to make a good first impression. Um, I don't think you want to tune out a new boss, no matter how close you might have been to the old boss. Um, I know that's hard to do and easier said than done, but you know, these, again, these guys are pro athletes. They have a job to do. Um, so, you know, they don't have a whole lot of choice, but to accept him. Um, but to buy in is something different than accepting him. And to me, it does seem like they have bought in, um, you know, and they're going to go out there and they're going to play just like, uh, it was Doug Peterson coaching them. And, uh, another point there is I think he engendered some goodwill by not having this mandatory mini camp. Now, I don't know what those conversations were that led them to uh, skip this mandatory mini camp, which would be, you know, the first day would have been today and would have run through Thursday. Every other NFL team is having it except for, interestingly enough, the Indianapolis Colts, coached by Frank Reich, um, Nick Sirianni's protege. So, um, there might be other teams, but I know the Colts and the Eagles are two that aren't having these mandatory mini camps. And, um, you know, I think for the veterans, they, they like that, you know, I mean, they didn't need to be in town for another three days to go through, you know, whatever these three days would have looked like. Um, and it was a lot of veterans that were consulted with this decision to cancel them and just have this three week OTA period with no seven on sevens, no 11 on 11s. It was just fundamental work. 
improving their craft. And, you know, I think that went over well with the veterans too, is that, you know, Nick talked to them. Uh, I know Kelsey was involved with it. I know Fletcher Cox was involved with it. And it probably makes them feel good that, hey, you know, this is a coach that responds to us, that listens to us. And when you, when you have that kind of a coach, a player's coach, I guess you could say, then, yeah, you're going to go out and you're going to fight hard for him. And Doug was the same way. As Doug gave these guys a say in how practices looked, um, you know, uh, whether or not they would practice hard during the week, uh, if they had a loss or if they felt like the need to practice hard. So if you're listening to your players, and I think this was kind of a sign that Sirianni is going to listen to what his players have to say in some situations, and this being one of them, then that's, that's pretty important. And you're going to go out and you're going to fight for that guy. Really impressive stuff. Do you do you think that they're doing this at the request of the players, or do you think it's also a response of you know, COVID really screwed you guys up? Let's give some time off, take it whatever you have to remember money, new stuff. Let's take some time off, relax, get your guy, get your minds right because I mean, this is going to be a whole different season now. We're going back to normal. We're getting somewhat back to normal. Or do you think this is going to be a full thing going forward? Yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to be going forward. I, I just know that these OTAs were all voluntary. None of these players had to be in town for these three weeks. So maybe there was a you know a concession reach like, look, you, you give me these three weeks and we'll wipe out the one week. And in these three weeks, we're just going to put in our – we're going to do a lot of installs. We're going to do a lot of on-field work. We're going to practice our technique. We're going to practice the fundamentals, and we're going to polish those. And we're going to work hard during these three weeks. You don't have to be here. You can start your summer vacation early. You don't have to be here for the mandatory mini camp. And we're going to come together in July. And I'm going to know exactly what you guys did during this time because we put in a lot of stuff. And you better come out and you better be able to regurgitate it to me. You better show me that you know what's going on with these installs and with the playbook and, and your technique. Um, and, and you better be able to show it to me uh, once training camp hits. And you better make sure that you're in good condition too. So, you know, I think, you know, on some level, that was the case, too, is that, you know, this is a test now for the players not to squander this extra time that they've been given. You know, they need to go out there and say, well, I'm going to take a week or two off before I go back to the gym or, you know, open up my playbook. I mean, from day one, from that break on Saturday, June 5th, after they left town, they, they better start doing everything that they just worked on because that was part of the deal. Uh, so I'm not sure this is if it was COVID related. I don't I don't think it was. I don't think it'll be a thing of the future. It might be. Um, but as of now, this was kind of the deal that Nick struck. And I don't know who reached out to who, who threw the olive branch out there, if it was the players, if it was the owner, knowing Jeffrey Luria could have been him, um, or if it was the head coach. But whatever it was, I, you know, was it a good move? I, you know, I, I would like to see them have been here for mandatory minicamp. Um, but what if guys like, you know, Darius Slay and Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox, all these 30 somethings said, I'm not going to come for the voluntary stuff or I'll come for a week of it and then I'll come for the mandatory. You know, is that going to be good enough? I mean, I think Sirianni probably felt like let's get three good weeks out of these guys, plus another week virtually before the on the field stuff. Let's get a good month out of this and we'll wipe out a week make it a reward for these players, and then let's see if they do what I asked them to do with this extra time that they've been given in the offseason before they have to come back to camp. Great stuff. I and mean, that's great that he, you know, reached an agreement with 
guys like Kelsey and Cox. If that that being said, that's just really I I like that already. That's something that you build a locker room with, and you know, players going to turn to him knowing he's the guy now, especially with yeah. that type of trust already being built in. But uh, let's move on to you know everybody's worried about cornerback too. Still, that's still the main topic because they haven't solved it yet. They haven't brought anybody in. But uh, Michael Jaquette lined up at cornerback too. Interestingly enough, you know, not Shakari Taylor who has experience with Jonathan Gannon. Um, not Zach McPherson, in the rookie. They put Jaquette out there at cornerback too. They put Maddox in the slot. What did you think of that? Were you surprised? Were you just this typical? Well, I, I think they're just trying different, different things at this point. You know, they haven't settled on anybody. I mean, um, you know, it was the same with the left tackle spot. You know, they had Mulata and Dillard kind of alternating first team reps, uh, according to them, uh, throughout the three weeks. And I, I just think they're just trying guys in different places. Um, you know, Maddox got some work at safety during one of the practices that we saw. Um, again, I think it's just kind of finding out what guys' strengths are so you can start to put together your scheme uh, during – for the coaches, there's no time off. You know, these next six weeks or whatever till training camp, they're not going to take any time off. Maybe they get a week vacation, maybe. Um, the players are off, but the coaches are working. You know, now they have film that they can look at after trying guys in different places uh, to see what some of the strengths are, and then they can start to build their scheme and what it's going to look like on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, as far as the cornerback, too, you wrote a good story on how they could uh, kind of disguise that perceived weakness by playing a lot of the three safety sets. Um, that was a, that was a well thought out story that you wrote for, you know, SI.com and, um, right, the quarterback that, who's going to get help no matter what this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But look, you know, nobody's, everybody's talking about Maddox and Maddox could be the guy. Um, and Jaquette. Okay. Maybe he's the guy, but you know, also they traded for Josiah Scott. Now would they feel comfortable with him outside? He's got the same, uh, you know, dimensions as Avante Maddox, not real big. Um, but very athletic. Uh, and then they have uh, Shaquille Taylor, the guy they brought in from the Colts. Uh, so they have some familiarity with him. I mean, maybe one or two of those guys, you know, maybe either of those guys kind of stand up and, and you know, or can win that job. But uh, to me, it looks like it's probably going to be Maddox by default. Maybe it's Jaquette, but Gosh, I, I don't know. But I just think this three weeks was, you know, they were just putting guys in different places. You know, they put Rager in the slot. You know, Jalen Rager came on and talked about how he's being used in the slot. And everybody assumed, oh, we're going to use him in the slot. But I just think it's the coaches kind of putting guys in different spots on a daily basis to try to identify their strengths and weaknesses and then playing to those strengths uh, over these next six weeks, looking at the film that they film every move that these guys make on the field. They have cameras all over the place. You know, they're going to break it down. They're going to, they're going to study it. They're going to look and see what these guys did. Well, maybe they like Maddox at safety. Maybe he's going to be a safety. Who knows? I mean, we, we don't know until we come back in training camp and we start seeing some of these practices unfold where guys are playing. It's interesting that they had him lying up there though. That's a good little tidbit right there of information. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of works. There's some people out there that really believe that he is a safety, future free safety, and he might, he may as well just be. We'll see. But uh, you know, to go to your point on that, it, I, I say this all the time. I'm I'm just not panicking about the position yet because you know people really underestimate how great of in coverage Roddy McLeod is. And now you're telling him instead of covering the whole entire center field, we're gonna cut that in half. So yeah. you just take care of this side, Anthony Harris, who has been notoriously the last three seasons 
maybe not last year per se because of how bad and porous the Vikings secondary was, but the two years prior was the best covered safety in the NFL. So if you're going to line these guys up like what the article stated in the cover three and have the two safeties playing over top, the corner's getting help no matter what. This isn't Jim Schwartz's scheme anymore. Here's what here's my problem, Ed, with you know, fans when we start dis- discussing this stuff and you know, cornerback two, it's over with. Or, you know, Jalen Rager's line up in the slot. All right, they're already late putting him in the slot. It's over with. He's not going to be the Z receiver they thought he was going to be. That's silly because, you know, we had such conventional coaches before with Chip Kelly where it's not the guys, it's it's the scheme. I mean, excuse me, it's not the scheme, it's the guys on executing. And then Doug the same way, kind of, in a sense. Whereas, and I said this last episode, I'm, I'm just going to say it again, guys are going to be moving around. This is going to be a matchup dictate, dictated lineup. They have right. such young guys, such unheralded guys, where they can say, you know what? Jordan Malaz has been struggling these last couple of weeks. Let's just insert Andre Dillard and take it to go. Uh, they're not going to see it coming. Or let's put Maddox at corner. I mean, excuse me, let's put Maddox at free safety. When Well, if McLeod can't play week one, nobody's going to see that coming. And you know what? It might be a strength playing there. And we may give us a little advantage going into that, in that game. Who knows? It's a matchup dictated league. And, you know, like I said last time, Jalen Rager against a corner that can't keep up with his speed in the slot is a matchup he's going to win. I just see this coaching staff. That's what I like the most about it is what you're saying right now. Basically, I'm reiterating it is they're trying to get a sense of what they have because right. they'll be asking guys to do multiple things this year. That's not going to be pigeonholed in one spot, whereas we're, we're accustomed to these last two schemes, right. these last two head coaches. You're right. And and that's the beauty of them wanting to see guys in different positions. You know, Rager in the slot is what Rager might be able to do well in the slot against a defense like, I don't know, Atlanta, let's say, the opener. But maybe Rager's a better matchup on the outside against the 49ers. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think you're going to see guys, they're not, like you said, they're not going to pigeonhole somebody to one position and keep them there. If Andre Dillard wins the starter's job and he's struggling. I don't think they're going to hesitate to pull him out and put Jordan Mulata in. Um, whereas the previous coaching regime may have been hesitant to do that. I mean, these guys, they're not married to any of these guys that uh, were on the team prior. Um, so they're going to try to get guys to do things their way. And if they don't see them doing it their way, they're going to make changes, I think, sooner rather than later. Whereas under Doug and Jim Schwartz, you know, they, they were kind of set in their ways and this is how they've always done it. Um, but that's not going to be the case with a bunch of 30-somethings. They're going to react to what they're seeing, and they're going to adjust to what they're seeing. I'm not trying to overreact here, but one of my first pieces for SI was about Jordan Mulata, and you need to go with him going forward because of what he showcased you already. And, you know, that's an overreaction to some people, but I, and especially since they addressed it, excuse me, invested the, the capital that they have in Andre Dillard. I don't care. What, what Jordan Mulata showed you last year in such a broken he shouldn't be playing there. A lot of people hate to add context to the situation. They just look at the numbers, and I'm like, you need to. Because what he showed you was actually really freaking impressive when he wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. He wasn't supposed to be the team starting left tackle. It was supposed to be Dillard. And when Dillard were down, it was supposed to be Peters. You know, Milano was the you know plan C, and he came in there as plan C during COVID where there was no real offseason. Again, his first real playing action in the NFL was this past season. His right. first real action. And what he showed you was so it, I, I don't like, like I said, people are gonna take this in overreaction, but what, like I stated in the article, what he showed you was what Jason Peters did in Buffalo when he first came out of his shell and nobody knew what he was gonna do. 
his first season real starting experience, you're like, we need to build upon this. You need to build upon what Jordan Mulata showed you because what he showed you was a franchise left tackle. What Andre Diller showed you, nothing of the sort close. I know it's limited action compared to what Jordan Mulata showed you, but I would hate to say, Jordan, hold on. Like, what you just showed us was great and everything. We're going to delay it a little bit because we did use this first round pick on Andre Dillard and he looked a little bit better at camp and he's not listening to social media anymore. I think that's a disservice. I would keep Andre Dillard no matter what, because again, you know, year two, anything can happen with Jordan Mulata and it could be proven that I was wrong and that's an overreaction of the Jordan Jason Peters comparison, but I think it's a real thing. I definitely think it's a real thing that what he showed you was something that uh, is all pro type potential of a young player. You know, it was his first year, real year starting. People are going to take it as, you know, the offensive line was one of the worst units last year. How are you saying this? You know, all this stuff. And they may look at his stats. I think he gave up eight, seven sacks maybe off the top of my head. I can't really remember. But what he showed you was, I'm an inexperienced player, not, not expecting to play here, thrown in here completely out of loop on an offensive line that's been going through so many, what, 13, 14 combinations. I played pretty freaking well. Imagine what we can do when I'm actually situated at this spot. That's why I want to continue Jordan building on Jordan Mulata. I think it's a disservice to go with Andre Dillard over him. I do. But again, not my decision. And this coaching staff, like you said, and you perfectly put this because I think it's a great thing about this coaching staff. It's not married to any of these players. What they're married to is the 2021 draft class because that's, that's the guys they actually brought in. Then really, Anthony Harris, uh, Eric Wilson, you know, his deal wasn't that inspiring but the guys are married to the guys that are 2021 offseason edition so far Andre Dillard doesn't know they don't owe Andre Dillard anything no. but I would build upon Jordan Mulata I know this is a competition and it should be but I'm, I'm definitely building on Jordan Mulata going forward well here here's something that Mulata has that Dillard doesn't and Dillard will tell you he's got a lot of confidence but what he doesn't have is the playing experience that Mulata got last year Milata now believes he can do the job. I mean, Milata was – he didn't know if he could do the job going into 2020, and now he knows he can do the job. That's that's huge for him. Um, but what Dillard has that Milata doesn't have is Dillard – and it really he does, it's not like he has it, but Dillard can only play the left side. Now, I asked him during the Zoom if he would be willing to play any other position, but we saw how that worked uh, his rookie year when they asked him to play right tackle. It was a dud. Mm-hmm. So – Dillard can only play the left side. Mulata can play right tackle as well. I think he stepped in uh, for a time last year and played that right side. So well, I, I, the Eagles could view this as – I'm skeptic Dillard. of that, though. To be let's let's Mulata – Mulata can be our swing guy like Vitae was. He can play left or right if something were to happen to Lane. And if we get rid of Lane or something happens to Lane, you know, if you get rid of that contract after this season – then maybe Milana's your starter at right tackle and Dillard's your starter at left tackle. I mean, that's that's something that is in favor for each player. It's going to be a great battle no matter what happens. I mean, this is going to be a legitimate competition, and, and we're going to see. And what's great is we have preseason games where you don't have to go to practice and read somebody's work who was there uh, to handicap this battle. You're going to be able to see it when they play the Steelers and – uh, the Jets and uh, and there's a third team they play uh, the Patriots. Um, the camp too, August eighth, yeah, August twenty second. Yeah, You'll see right up close. Right, the open. You're right. Open practices August eighth and August twenty second. So fans are going to have more of a front row seat 
to watch this battle unfold at left tackle. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a battle. I mean, there's not going to be anybody that's going to be handed this position. They're going to give it to the best guy. They don't care if Dillard was the first pick and uh, Mulata was the seventh round pick. They don't care. It's going to be who plays the best uh, in camp and once the lights go on in the preseason. I'm, you know, look, I'm excited for the preseason games. That's the first time I've ever probably said that in my life. Um, but we didn't have them last year. And, you know, I think we missed that as a fan base, I would say. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some fans don't care still, but I care. I want to see what these guys do uh, once the lights go on. Yeah, competition brings out the best. and yeah, Absolutely. It's the smartest thing to do, but, you know, Jack Driscoll should be the right tackle more than Jordan Mulata should. That, I, I just being honest with you, I didn't think Jordan Mulata was spectacular at right tackle going forward. I'd be confident in a guy like Jack Driscoll, but, you know, it's so funny how some people think oh, you should be able to play left and right. They're two incredibly different positions. You're you're turning two different physical positions yourself as a person in your body, and you're adjusted to the left side or you're adjusted to the right side. So uh, I I don't kill Andre Dillard for not being good at right tackle. I think he should focus on left, and I think Milano should do the same. I'm going to have the same argument for both. They have a great right tackle behind Lane Johnson that they can develop going forward in Jack Driscoll if they need to. Well, I I, yeah, I wonder about Triscoll as a guard. I mean, I don't think he was drafted was to play possible. tackle, but but we'll see. I, I mean, yeah. So Triscoll I mean, is closer to Big V is than any of the other guys, though. I would, yeah. in my opinion. Look at Big V. I mean, he he did a great. He was so underrated, and Jason Kelsey will tell you that all the time that he was so overlooked and his ability to have that versatility. You're right. It's not easy to go to left to right. But I think Malata said he played a lot of right tackle going into, I think it was the 2020 season. Uh, and, and then he got switched over to the left side. So, I mean, you know, he does have more of a body of work, obviously, than Dillard has. So, you know, if he shows that he can play both sides, then the Eagles might say, you know what, you're going to be our swing guy, and we're going to throw Dillard at left tackle. But, again, it's going to come down to this competition that they're going to have through camp. The Lions gave Big V a disgusting deal, and now they're already telling him that he's going to have to play guard. If anything, he's going to win a position to play guard because uh, they drafted Penny Sewell, who's going to play right tackle now, and they had Taylor Decker a left tackle. I would, I would call the Lions up and I'd say, "How sold are you on Taylor Decker?" And would you take Andre Dillard for Big V? That's how <laughs> I would. I would rather bring bring back Big V than keep going with Andre Dillard. To be honest, interesting. And yeah. it's nothing against Andre Dillard. It was just I just think I think Jordan Mulata is the better player. Based on, of course, what Andre Dillard showed his rookie year, I, look, he had some bright spots against Cleo Mack, but he his his bad spots were pretty bad. And it's not just the right tackle; he he played bad at left tackle as well. So, I'm just so high on Jordan Mulata. But again, competition brings out the best. They're doing the right thing, and if Dillard beats out Mulata or looks better than Mulata, and that's what the team feels is the right position going forward, then go ahead. But uh, I would trade Andre Dillard for Big V. <laughs> just uh-huh. to that on the podcast real quick, just to be myself as a uh, armchair GM real quick. That would make that move, honestly. I think that's how crucial, because Big V can play anywhere, literally anywhere. I, I remember Kelsey even said he could play center if he needed to. So uh, I would definitely bring back Big V if I could. But looking at, uh, I got to go over this with you after hearing the position, because now we're, we're today's Wednesday. Uh, we're airing the show tomorrow on Thursday. You, we listen to the position coaches talk to the media. Aaron Moorhead, I ha- I'm taking issue. You know, one of my, I think my, it might be my first piece with SI. I wrote that bringing back Aaron Moorhead as a wide receiver coach was one of the best moves of the offseason. I still believe that to this day. You know, when you have such a young and heralded group of wide receivers, you don't keep switching up their position groups. The Eagles done that in the past and it's failed miserably with their young receivers. They need content to, they need somebody that can be there 
consistently at that spot. And I think bringing back Aaron Moorhead, who I think is a really good coach, I think he always, he's only going to get better. But bringing him back was key. But his his explanation for the Travis Fulgham decision of you know what happened to Travis Fulgham and his decrease in play, I thought was, again, you know, you might as well just go ahead and copy and paste what Doug Peterson was saying. I can't, I, I can't buy that, Ed. I can't buy that, like, you know. No, I don't either. Recent play came from not showing enough competition. And, you know, the right. Eagles went into, he came off that Dallas game. Six tar- six catches for 78 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he's targeted seven times. They go into the bye week. And that was it from Travis Fogel. So this, this, excuse of, of we, we didn't play him because he wasn't earning it enough or he was he wasn't showing enough you know he was struggling against the more attention he was getting from teams that's fine i mean that's that's growing planes of a young player because again travis fulgham isn't like a veteran in this league he was really a rookie last year to be honest with you damn well close to him. he's still a very young player in this league he's still developing this team again you know always showed struggles of developing young talent and fulgham was no different and they played Alshon inex- inexcusably over him. And if Aaron Moorhead's explanation was, well, you know, Fulgham wasn't handling the extra attention well. He needed to earn his playing time. This is good for him that Alshon did all this. I think it's complete crap. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know why we keep going on with this stuff. Well, you invested time in a guy that you knew wasn't going to be on the team at all, and you just showed again you couldn't develop a young player. I, I don't understand Aaron Moorhead's response there, and I, I hope that's not the feeling that Nick Sirianni and uh, Shane Seichin came away with too when reviewing Fulgham's tape was he got worse somehow. Because I know that they're getting footage of the practice of the practice footage that they had last year because they have to see something in Fulgham that, you know, they're going to have to invest and see what ha- what went wrong here. Because, again, 539 yards, pretty close to the Eagles' leading receiver if he wasn't. Um, he was. He was. Again, yeah, Exactly. They had to figure out what went wrong there. They're going to have to figure out that case. Uh, if they came away with the same response of Aaron Moorhead, I'm a little concerned. No, I, 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 I don't think anything went wrong. I just think it was Alshon Jeffrey came back, and they were paying Alshon a lot of money. He was the veteran guy. And, look, Alshon Jeffrey still isn't signed by anybody. You know, he's still a free agent, and there's a reason for it. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, that's basically it. And I've heard rumblings that Fulgham wasn't happy about it, and I requested – uh, through the PR department to talk or to make, you know, Travis Fulgham available uh, via Zoom to all of us because we don't get one-on-one interviews without a locker room. So I requested it. And, uh, you know, they said that uh, they never really gave a reason for not bringing him on. But Travis Fulgham was never brought on. And I don't know if that's because they're afraid of what he might say regarding this and they want to kind of keep the lid on it as long as they can. I mean, eventually we're going to talk to Fulgham and we're going to ask him his thoughts on it. Um, and he'll probably tow the party line, the company line, just like, um, you know, Aaron Moorhead evidently did here uh, on Tuesday when he talked to us. Um, uh, but but really, it's plain and simple. They they wanted to get Alshon Jeffrey back in the lineup and uh, for whatever reason. I mean, it was a lost season already, um, but not to want to keep throwing Fogum out there was upsetting to Fogum from what I've heard. And uh, there was no reason for it. And I don't think that. Nick Suriani and Shane Steichen and Kevin Petulo and all these other coaches are looking at it like, you know, Fulgham's a broken player and we have to fix him. I think they know what they have in Fulgham and I think they can develop him and they will try to develop him. 
I, I hope so because there is something there with him for sure. There's I think something. So. That you, I don't, I'm not saying he's a wide receiver one, and I'm not even saying he's a two, but he's definitely a three, and he can play the slot well too. I would assume as well. So I, you can definitely get something out of Fogelman. You know, I'm looking at these wide receivers, and they have to be versatile. They have to move around. Devontae Smith can do every receiver spot on the field. They're trying to do so with Rager, obviously, and he did play the X well at TCU again, Big Ten. But again, he did play the X well. Uh, Fogelman is another guy who I think can play every spot except for Z. Move him around because JJR take a white side now. Nah. If anything, the most you get out of him is slot at this point. I don't even think you can play X at this at this level in the NFL. Uh, Quez, you can move him around from Z to um, Y. High Tower potentially the same as well. So at least they have a lot of guys that are, can be versatile. And I think Travis Holcomb would be the same. And if you, he's got to be the big body receiver that makes the team and starts from day one. He has to be. He has to be your day one starting X. So they had to figure that out. They had to figure it out. And this this ex- explanation was just awful. Because, you know, if I'm you, if I were you, because I, I, I'm i going to do so. I used to talk to Fulgham's agent all the time. I'm going to keep digging at this. Because they need to figure this out. And they need to at least, if, if you're not going to give us the truth about what's what happened, that's fine. But give us a plan going forward. Give us a plan of attack. Show us that you're going to at least try to sh- develop a young kid that led your team in receiving last year and showed really some strides that no receiver young receiver has for this team in in years this is I think yeah I, I think that's what training camp will be for you know we'll see if uh you know that that's when the plan of attack so to speak will be sort of revealed is in camp we'll see how he's used we'll see you know where his reps are coming from first team second team third team we'll see and then we'll see how he looks i mean again you know and aaron moore had said this on the on the conference call that uh, it's a young, very talented group of wide receivers and that they're going to have to fight their butts off to win the job, to win a roster spot. And, you know, Fogum really isn't any different. I mean, he's in that same boat with guys that aren't named Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager and Greg Ward. To me, those three probably have a roster spot secured. Um, but after that, Quez Watkins, John Hightower, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Trayvon Grimes, I mean, there's a long list of guys. Uh, and Fogum's going to have to rise to the occasion in this camp uh, to win the job. I, you know, uh, we'll see. You know, you hope he's up for it, but that's when we'll start to see the plan of attack is once training camp starts and once the preseason games begin. Agreed. So, you know, the Jeff McLean stirring the pot section of Eagles offseason is finally here. Uh, his latest report is about Fletcher Cox and the internal concern that Philadelphia has about his future with the team. You know, they compared his conditioning to Aaron Donald's and said it's not on par with his. Uh, they're worried about him going into his 30s with the team and his long-term future going forward. They said he wasn't conditioning well uh, coming off his injuries the last two years. Ed, what are your thoughts? I mean, they did invest a lot of money in Javon Hargrave. They went into this draft and took Milton Williams with a third-round pick, which is still a premium pick in my opinion. You're wanting to see some kind of value from a third-round pick at some point in time, if he's a starter or not. Uh, what do you think about this? So you should report about Fletcher Cox and his future with the team. Well, I mean, he's 30 years old now. Uh, you know, he's making more money than any other, anybody else on this team. Uh, his contract is huge. Uh, I mean, you know, he's going to have to play better. He's going to have to, you know, be one of those players that steps up and shows that, you know, he, he can uh, still answer the bell. And if they don't think he's conditioning or, or, or uh, you know, living up to his potential because he's not in shape like they're insinuating here, then uh, he's going to have to prove that they're wrong and that he is in shape and that he is he can be the player that he was earlier in his career. Um, you know, I listen, 
he didn't have the kind of years the last two years that we thought he would. I know he's been banged up. He had the ankle surgery, uh, things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's something to it. When you're making the most money on the team, you have to do all the right things, and maybe they don't feel like he is. I think there's something to it as, uh, as well, yeah. but I don't think it's to the point where, you know, how is he? This team is incredibly loyal to their players. And Fletcher Cox has been their best draft pick since so maybe Reggie White, to be honest with you. To be quite honest with you. Maybe McNabb. Maybe since McNabb. I don't know. But he's definitely up there. That case, he's, you know, they're one of the franchise's best defensive players of all time. My opinion, at least. I don't mm-hmm. know. The way I, I at least think so. That's food for thought for sure. I know it's not Derek Barnett, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I there's loyalty to be said for those players. I think, you know, I think it stings Jeffrey Lurie that Brian Dawkins didn't play his whole entire career with the Eagles. I think it does sting him because he still ended up being a productive player. So I think, and, you know, Reggie White didn't either. I think that there's, when you're talking about a player of the magnitude of Fletcher Cox, and what he's meant to this organization and, and this team. And, you know, we say that stuff about Fletcher Cox, you know, that he didn't meet expectations, but he still plays at an incredibly high level. It's just because we always expect so much from him because he's elite. He's an elite caliber player. You would expect it. I get it. But again, he's still on par with Aaron Donald as in terms of being, he's not the best defensive tackle in the league, but he's damn well second, in my opinion, at least third. You know, DeForest Buckers definitely taking a run for his money right now, but at least third. They have to tread lightly with this because, again, you know, that story comes out. Fletcher Cox already tweeted out about it. He put a bunch of clown emojis on, on Twitter. I, I don't know. I, I just I, it's going to be a hard. I, I know that they drafted Milton Williams, though, so I think there is something to it because they like Milton Williams a lot. Javon Hargate's on a huge deal. Uh, I think that they're expecting him to have bounced back after, you know, coming on late in the season. And again, Javon Hargrave had a ton of interest from the Colts until they opted to make that trade for DeForest Buckner. There's going to be a role for him in this defense. Jonathan Gann's going to figure him out for sure and get him very productive from day one. But Milton Williams is somebody that they're really high on too. And again, a third-round pick, you're going to want to see some type of investment in. So I think there is some type of merit to the story of Fletcher Cox's long-term future, but keep go ahead and keep motivating him because then he's going to have a crazy season and then all those stories are going to go to bed. Because he's going to have – it looks like Jason Kelsey's going to retire in Eagle at his leisure, I think Cox might be the same. Yeah, and well, you know, it's not just Milton Williams. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, too. They took Marlon to a, to a, to a, to a polo also, in yes, the sixth round. Uh, okay, you can say, oh, well, he's a sixth-round pick. But, you know, we had Thor Nystrom on the show a couple weeks back, uh, college football writer, um, and, and he loved – to to Apollo. He, you know, he was one of, I think he was the 10th ranked defensive tackle on his board. And this was a class that wasn't great for defensive tackles, but that doesn't mean there were, you know, they were all duds. I mean, there was some good talent at that position. Um, Williams third. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, to it to Apollo had the hamstring. I think he had a hamstring uh, issue uh, that may have had him drop a little bit. I mean, who knows, you know, the medical reports were so, you know, shadowy this year without real medical checks being able to happen with the COVID situation. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe that kind of scared some teams off. Um, uh, but the Eagles took him. And listen, I mean, that kind of even puts more pressure on Cox to kind of live up to this expectation for him uh, to be better. 
uh, to condition better, to train better, if in fact he's not doing those things. So, you know, they didn't just draft William, Milton Williams. They're, they're rebuilding this defensive line um, with some youth, um, you know, and even, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Taron Jackson can move inside or, you know, we know Brandon Graham can. So, you know, you still have another draft class next year where there'll be some defensive tackles. They could draft another one. Uh, you know, so they have started to make the move to kind of um, get ready for Cox's departure should Cox not uh, do the right things in their opinion. You put the story out about Devontae Smith and his case for offensive rookie of the year. And I'm, you know, I'm, I kind of started wanting to buy into it. I am really starting to buy into it. I want to know why we're looking at his biggest competition is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Of course, Zach Wilson, of course, perhaps Justin Fields. If he starts day one, I don't think Trey Lance is going to start day one. I think it's going to be Garoppolo. Uh, I don't think Matt Jones is going to start day one either. I think it's going to be Cam. So really, Trevor, the quarterbacks, you know, always get the hype for that award. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are going to be the, the, the prime candidates for that. But then you look at this other competition, it's going to be Jamar Chase, who is one Joe Burr injury away from being unproductive. Again, in a high-powered offense, that's going to see a ton of targets go to Tyler Boyd and, and uh, T. Higgins as well. You just look at Kyle Pitts, who's now probably... As a receiver, Devontae Smith's biggest competition with Julio Jones leaving because that target share is probably going to go all, all the way to Kyle Pitts, if not majority. Even with Calvin Ridley there, a huge departure of Julio Jones is going to, all those targets are going to go to Kyle Pitts. Um, Jalen Waddell, I don't believe is going to be much competition for Devontae Smith, to be honest with you. Devontae Parker's going to get a ton of targets. They signed Will Fuller to play the same exact position as uh, Jalen Waddle. So Waddle's going to have to earn his playing time. And they have Mike Zeski there, who's becoming one of the better tight ends in the league. I don't see Jalen Waddle being in competition. Devontae Smith is back with his, one of his college quarterbacks in Jalen Hurts. Not, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience with him, but it's, again, the chemistry is still there. He's going into an offense where I would argue he might become the new number one target. You know, the number one target of this offense the last couple of years is supposed to be Zach Ertz. It was Zach Ertz. I know last year fell off a little bit, but it's been Zach Ertz. Now going forward, it's who is it going to be? You don't know. You're hoping somebody emerges as that. Devontae Smith has the opportunity to emerge as your number one target for this offense, which means he's going to have a huge target share. That can put you in the offensive rookie of the year position. You can, you know, they don't have to be winning for him to win offensive rookie of the year. He can put up the numbers this year. Yeah, 145 targets last year at Alabama in the SEC. You know, I the usage might be close to that, not close to that. That's a that's a huge amount of targets, but he might get into the hundreds with the Eagles. That's going to put you in the 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 position to be offensive rookie of the year. And your biggest competition, you know, is Jamar Chase again, Joe Burrow injury away. Who again with a team that really didn't upgrade their offensive line at all uh, for being unproductive in a high octane offense. It's going to have a ton of targets to going elsewhere. Waddle and I mean, really, Pitts is the biggest competition. So uh, I think there's some some money to be had on this. I think you should. Uh, I'm betting on it now. I think Devontae Smith could be offensive rookie of the year for the Eagles. Yeah, it's funny they've never had a rookie of the year either offense or defense. The Eagles, I mean, never yeah. since 1967 they've been giving this thing out, and the Eagles haven't had anybody. Um, so be, you know, it would be so fitting for Devontae Smith to be the first, the one that everybody doubts. Well, because I mean, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I don't know who the college, uh, the Heisman Trophy w- favorite was going into the last college football season. 
I would think it would have been Trevor Lawrence uh, and Devontae Smith beat Trevor Lawrence in that voting. Um, you know, I don't know who else would have been, but, you know, Devontae Smith had an amazing season, 123 catches, over 1,800 yards receiving, 23 touchdowns. I don't think a receiver's ever had that kind of season in college football ever. Um, so right there, you know, yeah, he's got a chance. He already beat Lawrence out for the college football's most prestigious award. Um, he was the first wide receiver in college to win the Heisman in 30 years. The last one was in 1991 when Desmond Howard did it. Um, the NFL's last rookie of the year from a, uh, as a receiver was Odell Beckham in 2014. It's an award that six out of the last 11 years has gone to the quarterback, you know, from uh, Sam Bradford to Robert Griffin to Dak Prescott, um, you know, I'm missing some other, some others in there, but it's, it's a quarterback driven award, just like usually the Heisman is. And somehow Devonte Smith got in and won that. Um, and, and I think he will get a lot of targets. You know, you mentioned, Jamar Chase, I mean, T. Higgins and and uh, and Tyler Boyd, they're going to get their share of targets. Who who other than maybe Jalen Rager and Miles Sanders uh, and maybe Goddard are, are going to get these receptions, uh, you know, these targets? I, I think Devontae Smith's ability to run any route from any of the receiver spots, whether it's X, Y, Z, whatever alphabet number you want, or letter you want to put on it, makes him a candidate to get the targets. Um, and, and I think he could have that kind of year. And then, you, you know, Okay, offensive rookie of the year, fine, great. Uh, but they haven't had a receiver go over 1,000 yards since Jeremy Macklin in 2014. The rookie record for reception yardage has been uh, standing since Deshaun Jackson did it, I think, in 2008. I think he had 913 yards, something like that. So, you know, that rookie of the year aside, there are other milestones for Devontae Smith to threaten, and I think he will. Completely agree, my friend. So, that does it for us. We'll be back soon for a new episode. Uh, great info, as always. Uh, you know, the Maddox playing safeties, I know it's just OTAs. It's not something to really take away and huge. they make a huge thing about. But, I mean, that's going to be on my mind all week. You know, that, <laughs> that could be the future. You know, McLeod's on a one-year deal. It, it could be the future for uh, free safety of this team. So, we'll see. That's that's something to take away. And I think that's, you know, that's I like ending the episode highlighting that. But, uh, also, I am definitely voting for Devontae Smith to win an offensive rookie of the year. I am. I'm putting that money in. That's going to be a bet for sure. Good man. All right, man. Thanks. Great. Right. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon again. SI.com slash NFL slash Eagles for all your up-to-date news on the Philadelphia Eagles. Non-stop covers with John Ramon, Ed Krause, and myself. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.